In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. This parable, I think, is among some of the most misunderstood texts in the scriptures. And so today we will consider two ways that someone could miss the point of this text. One error sees in this text only law, and the other error sees only the gospel. But this text has and applies both. And if you don't have both rightly applied, then you end up believing a lot like this lawyer who came to Jesus. But I may be getting ahead of myself here. So this man who questions Jesus is a lawyer, but you aren't going to find him in a courtroom. He is an expert in the law of God. He loves God's word. This man is a theologian. And like any good theologian, he has opinions and questions about the text. So he goes to Jesus to find out what Jesus thinks. Now, maybe with Jesus, he'll get into a debate about God's word. Because next to love for God himself, theologians love a good debate about what God says. But this lawyer has things backward. He's more interested in a debate than he is in loving Jesus. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we've talked about this question before. You know it's the wrong question to ask. You cannot do in order to inherit. It would be like hearing of Queen Elizabeth's death last week and asking what you had to do in order to inherit her throne. Not only would the question be in poor taste, but you had to be born into it. And it's much too late for that now. But Jesus doesn't take the bait and attack the question directly. He assumes this man is asking a real question. And this, I think, is the first hint that we have about how Jesus intends to deal with this man. Jesus intends to be this man's pastor. He wants to get to the heart and the conscience. So Jesus knows the man is a Bible expert. So he asks a Bible question. What does the Bible say? How do you read? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. The man clearly knows his catechism, and Jesus commends his answer. You have spoken rightly, he says. The term Jesus uses here is one that we heard last week. When the deaf man had been healed, when his ears had been opened to hear the truth, then he could speak rightly. The Greek word is the same here. It is the word orthos, or straight. Just like the deaf man, the lawyer speaks what is orthodox, He speaks correct doctrine. But Jesus wants more than right speech. He wants right faith. 
He wants the, fruit, the fruits that flow from that faith. So Jesus tells the man, yes, if you want to know what to do to inherit eternal life, then keep the law. Go do that and you will live. Now before we consider the lawyer's response, we need to think about what Jesus has just done here. The lawyer is an expert in the law, and he already knew the answer. He already knew that Jesus was going to say this. He knew that the law could not save him. And Jesus knows that too. So why would Jesus decide to tell the lawyer to do the law and thus earn the inheritance of eternal life? The lawyer had a law question. Jesus gives a law answer. The man knows he needs to be justified, and he wants to do it by the law. He hopes that Jesus will agree. But Jesus knows something the lawyer doesn't know yet. He knows that one cannot fully keep the law. And the lawyer must realize this also. So what Jesus does is he preaches the law to this man. Do the law, all of it, every commandment, perfectly, every day, forever, and you will gain life. But it doesn't work. It will never work. This expert in God's law knows he hasn't measured up to what he reads in the text. His law question brought a law answer, and the answer has convicted him. Jesus is working to bring this man to faith, but first he must be crushed by the law. Only then can he see that Jesus is his merciful Savior. Now, the lawyer knew that the law condemned him, but he doesn't want to be condemned. He wants to be justified. And if the law cannot justify him, then he concludes the law, the job of justifying doesn't belong to anyone else. He must justify himself. And if he's going to do that, he must find a loophole. He must make the law just complicated and confusing enough that he can keep it by a technicality. Maybe this guy is more like a sleazy, a sleazy lawyer than we first thought. But either way, he's a legal expert. If there is a loophole in the law, he is going to find it. So he needs another question. Who then is my neighbor? The lawyer is asking the question under the idea that the only way to salvation is under the law. So if I am to show love to my neighbor, then I need a checklist. I need to know exactly who my neighbor is. But I don't need to know that because I want to love him. What I really want to know is which neighbors, which people near me, can I exclude from my love? 
Because the more people and situations that I can remove from the command to love, the more the law's command to love will become doable. And you also know how this works. You think about the what-if situations because on some level you want to do what this lawyer is doing. Well, what if I'm busy? Do I still have to love? What if he's a jerk to me? What if I'm late to class? What if she's rude? What about that guy who cut me off in traffic? What about when I look at my parents and I see their faults, do I still have to honor and obey them? Do I have to love the friend who betrayed me? Or maybe I don't want to exclude someone from my love completely, but I want to put a few limits on my love. Yes, I I know I'm supposed to love my wife, but what about when she disappoints me. I know I'm not supposed to exasperate my children, but what about when they have exasperated me? I will love them, but I will not love them now. I will love them later. And to all these questions, hear Jesus say this. The law says what it says. There aren't any loopholes. There's no person or situation you can remove from the Lord's command to love. Consider what happens in the story Jesus tells. Which one was a neighbor? And the lawyer answers, the one who showed mercy. The lawyer, by this story, is shocked. Mercy came from the Samaritan. This was quite mildly, uh, put it mildly, it's unexpected. Samaritans and Jews despised one another. Neither would be caught near the other. According to the lawyer's way of thinking, if the Samaritan could see the man on the side of the road was a Jew, then the Samaritan, according to the law, would be excused from helping. Samaritans and Jews weren't neighborly toward each other, and they were both perfectly fine with that situation. In other words, if I'm a Samaritan and I see a Jew who is in need, I don't need to love him, because he belongs to a group that I despise. Now, it's probably easy for us to see how that's wrong, but we should also consider why. Remember that the lawyer wants to reduce his neighbor list as much as possible. He knows that there are categories of people that are despised, and so if he can get his neighbor into, that, into one of those categories, then he can be excused from the command to love. So, for example, if he can consider his neighbor a Samaritan, well, I don't love Samaritans, so that guy is out. And this guy over here, he's a tax collector. And tax collectors don't deserve my love, so he's out too. 
The most obvious example for us in our society today, I think, is, is racism. But maybe for you, it's not racism. Maybe you've decided in your heart that you're not going to love anyone who has a, a certain socioeconomic status. Maybe you don't want to love the homeless or people who smell. Maybe you don't want to, oh, to love someone on the other side of the political aisle. Maybe you don't want to love someone who belongs to a certain family. But every step of the way, Jesus is showing that the law has no loopholes. And yet, how quickly and easily do you try to remove someone from the neighbor category? And then we hear this final word from Jesus to the lawyer who wants to earn salvation. Go and do. Go and show the love that I command. Be a neighbor. Now, that is one of the ways that our text could be read, when only the law is seen. Many, especially those outside the Lord's church, hear the point of the text in Jesus' command at the end, go and do likewise. Everything in the text gets condensed to the final command, be merciful to your neighbor. As though that's all that Jesus ever said, and that by doing that thing that he said, you will gain eternal life. Those in the church can fall prey to this error too. Perhaps you've seen those shirts and signs that say simply, love God, love people. As though that might be the summary of all that God has to say. It's another iteration of the old question that used to be everywhere. What would Jesus do? The command to be like Jesus, though, isn't the gospel. Now, it's not a bad thing to say. It's actually quite good. But the trouble comes when that's all you see. Because what happens when you try to do as Jesus commands and shows? How far does your love go? How many neighbors do you love before you start to ration your love? If you are honest with yourself, you see that by your own reason and strength, you cannot do it. You cannot love the way that Jesus demands. You have failed. No matter how many times you hear it, this command cannot save you. If all you hear is the law, then you are, in fact, much like that man beaten and stripped by the side of the road. You are hurt, exposed, left for dead. You can't get up and help yourself. You will not succeed by trying harder or finding the right example to follow. Every attempt falls woefully short. The man in the ditch needs help from another. The priest and the Levite walk by, but they will give no aid. These two men represent the law that you have failed to keep. They can't offer any assistance. They don't have any loopholes to set before you. They cannot save. 
all they can do is heap more demands upon you. Maybe you see the impossibility of this situation and you just want to give up. All you hear week after week is the demand to love God and to love people. And all you have is despair because you haven't done it. You haven't loved God. You haven't loved your neighbor. You haven't kept the law. And so perhaps you've given up on the constant striving and rededication because you see that it never really works. Even a new beginning is just a new opportunity for failure. So help must come from another place. A man of a different sort, he must climb down to you in the ditch. This man must be a man with compassion. The one lying in the ditch needs the kind of compassion that uniquely belongs to Jesus. And Jesus does have compassion, for he comes to you and binds up your wounds, pouring on costly oil and wine. He sets you on his own beast and brings you to the inn where he covers all the costs. In the midst of all the demands made upon this lawyer, as Jesus tells this story, he presents himself as the lawyer's savior. For the Samaritan is Jesus. He has come to rescue him, to bind up his wounds, to anoint him, to save him. He is here to pay for everything by means of his own blood. You see, what Jesus has done here is he turned the lawyer's question upside down. The lawyer didn't need another neighbor to love. He didn't need another demand added in his quest to justify himself before he can ever expect to give love. He needs to receive it. The lawyer needs mercy. He needs the law accomplished in his place. He needs to be healed. He needs to receive not just any love, but the love of Jesus. He needs to be delivered and rescued just like you. That's why Jesus has come down into the ditch of this world to come to you. He has anointed you in holy baptism by which you are born into his kingdom and have his inheritance. He has bound up your wounds in the absolution. He has poured into you the wine that is his blood from his own veins. He has brought you into his church, where you are continually cared for at his expense. Finally, you have the rest that you seek. Your striving and determination has come to an end. Jesus has brought you home, and you live in the hospital inn of his church. Now it is at this point of the text that we're tempted to be done with it. We have heard the gospel and we want to stop there. And yet Jesus has more to say. And if we were to stop now, we would be doing with this text what the lawyer wanted to do with the law. 
we would be putting limits on what Jesus is allowed to say to us. And so if Jesus is telling this story to present himself as the Savior and convert the heart of the lawyer, then we must also hear and receive the last part of what Jesus says. Go and do likewise. And Jesus means it. Go and be like the Samaritan. Go and be merciful. Go and love people. Go and be like Jesus. But this is not a return to justification under the law. This comes to you after Jesus has preached the gospel. Going and doing likewise isn't so that you earn salvation. Going and doing likewise is what happens when you have been shown mercy. Remember how we said that the lawyer couldn't really love at the beginning because he needed to receive love first? But what happens when he has received that love? What happens when he sees that all his works don't gain him heaven, that all of this has been given to him? What happens now when he sees a fellow neighbor in need? Filled with the mercy and compassion of Jesus, he can love others. He wants to love others to do what God commands because it isn't his love at all, but the love of God working through him by his Holy Spirit. And so this text is what your Lord does for you every Sunday. He brings you into his inn, the church. You are beat up, broken, and worn down by all the ways that you have failed to love and all the ways others have failed to love you. You are helpless to heal yourself. But Jesus comes to where you are. He binds up your wounds with the word of his forgiveness, feeds you himself, and sends you back out with him in your heart and his name upon you once again, restored and enabled to love. Now, he knows that you cannot love until you have been loved. And you see another picture of this every Sunday, too. You see your pastor communing before everyone else does so that you see Jesus taking care of your pastor before your pastor then comes and takes care of you. No Christian can love by his own reason and strength. He must receive love before he can give it. So receive your Lord's love this day. Be nourished, refreshed, and healed. And then go and do likewise, because your salvation doesn't depend on you, but on Christ. And you are therefore free to love with the love that he has given you. In the holy name of Jesus. The peace of God keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.